This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Pratima, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm delighted to have you today. I'm so excited to be here, Sarah. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your life, personally and professionally, beyond your bio. Right now, I'm doing craft street design full time. So I'm the designer and the founder over there. So I do a lot of work still. We do have people and I'm also a mom of a high schooler. So that kind of keeps me busy right now, especially during the December time with retail sales going up along with family parties, yeah. <laughs> all sorts of stuff. So this is a hard time yeah. of year as a business owner, because you want to take advantage of the impact that the holidays has on your business, which can be sometimes really big. But at the same time, you want to like enjoy your holidays with your family. Do you feel torn? in Yeah, that? I feel very torn in that. <laughs> Yeah, it takes a good amount of scheduling to make sure that you're doing both well, because, you know, it is a crucial time, as you said, and you don't want to drop the ball on your business. But right. at the same time, trying to, you know, juggle the family stuff. My kids are already out of school and she's on her break. So it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it takes a good amount of proper planning for everything <laughs> to work out. Yes. And is Craft Street Design fully online or do you have a local store as well? So I don't have a local store, but there are retailers carrying our products okay. these days. So we had two of them already. So nice. Oh, congratulations. That's exciting. In advance of this episode airing, I will make sure that you sent me the most gorgeous card that I'm going to frame and put on my wall, by the way, in my office. But you sent me one of your designs with a quote on it, which I will read here, an Oprah Winfrey quote 
that says, you get in life what you have the courage to ask for. When I got this, I was so excited. I showed it to my husband. I was like, oh my gosh, like I got art from one of my listeners and from one of my interviewees. And this is a really, really cool gift. And it's gorgeous. So we'll definitely send people your way. Because everything that you do is kind of wrapped around these inspirational quotes. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And I'm so glad you liked it. So yes. Oh my gosh, I love it. And this all started with one little quote that you credit saving your life. And that quote was the darkest hour is before dawn. We're going to kind of go back in time a little bit. But let's dive into your story and tell us about how craft street design came to be and where that quote really impacted your life. Well, (laughs) it is a little while ago. So I had had that quote for a long time. Around probably 15 or 16, I made a painting with that quote and I've carried it ever since. But after that, many things happened in my life. I got married, had an arranged marriage, came to the United States. You know, I was supposed to start my life at 21 and things didn't quite work out the way I expected it to be because I didn't really know the person. And, you know, I was very depressed and Things started just going in a downward spiral. And at one point, I decided to end my life because it was just had gotten to be too much for me at this point. And that's when I saw this quote on the wall. And it gave me the presence of mind and to kind of stop and think in a different way to look at the whole thing in a new perspective. And that kind of helped me kind of realize that I'm not as helpless as I'm assuming myself to be. And, you know, it kind of helped me get the courage to take control of the situation and to be able to get out of it. So that's where, you know, my life really started. And I took control, you know, went out of my marriage, started working in corporate, I had about seven years of experience as a consultant in many different places, including Apple. And after that is when I realized that, uh oh, this is not what I expected it to be because I was expecting, you know, you get a job, everything in your life works out and you think you've got your dream job and you technically should be happy at this point. But that's when I just realized that it is not what I expected it to be and It's not something that I was getting proper job satisfaction or I wasn't feeling like fulfilled at the end of the day. So I was very upset with that. And I started kind of soul searching as to what should I be doing and what kind of business should I be starting or what exactly should I be doing? And at that point is when I went back in my life and thought about this moment that kind of helped me start my life and take a completely different direction. So I figured, you know, it'll probably help other people. At this point, I was just thinking that, oh, because it helped me, it's going to help other people. But after that, I did a lot of research and found that, you know, environment actually plays an impact on people, no matter how conscious or subconscious it is. And that's when I realized that it is a product and people would actually buy. And I started designing and posting designs on marketplaces like on Darby Smart and Etsy and all of these other places. And when I got my first order for $7 at the time, that's when I realized that, oh, yay, I know I am in business. Looks like I am in business. So that's how I made my start in craft street design, a start in business. Wow. So you very quickly just went over a lot of really huge life moments. So I'm going to back up a little bit and ask you a few more questions about some of these things that when it's your own life, it can sometimes seem like this is just what I did. And this is where I ended up. But for those of us listening, you referred to some really, really major life events and some things that some of us 
don't have any level of familiarity with. So you were in an arranged marriage. And how old were you when that happened? I was engaged at 20 sometime in December. And then I turned 21 by the time I got married, which was six months after. Okay. And where were you living I hadn't even finished college. I was in my final year of college and I was living in India. Okay. Uh, I got married and then I came to the United States. Okay. So, you know, in the United States, arranged marriages are extremely rare. Tell us a little bit yeah. about how that happens. Who <laughs> makes the choices around who's marrying who? <laughs> It is definitely a very Eastern cultural thing to have an arranged marriage. I think it is not a marriage between two individuals to, you know, say the least. It is to families marrying each other. So there are mediators, like people that, you know, a friend of a friend or relative of a relative, somebody knows somebody. And that's how these things come together. Okay. Sometimes some people do use uh, middlemen and that's how you get these alliances as to, okay, you know, these two people could be a possible match. And then, of course, all said and done, it comes down to one or the other saying it's okay or it's not okay. And in a previous generation, the decisions were made completely by the parents and the elders. If a grandparent or somebody who's older alive, then that's the person who makes the decision, the final call on it. But, you know, in my generation, I had to say, if I really didn't want to get married to this person, I could have said a no. I think my parents would have listened to me. Or at least I'd like to think so. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> did your family yeah. or did your parents present this person to you then? Like, did your families know each other? Or how did you and your yeah. husband meet? Yeah, so the husband and his family came to see me at our home because a relative in between told them that it's a possible match and they spoke over the phone. They figured, you know, and then the pictures were sent of both of us to the other person. So the family saw what I looked like and I saw what he looks like and they kind of told us whether he works, what he does, where he lives, what is the culture of the family, do they have a reputable name, their economic status, pretty much everything gets wow. evaluated. And then they decided that the boy and the girl can see each other and see if they too like each other as well, or like the, for the final part of the interview. <laughs> wow. And so when you met your potential husband-to-be, did you feel optimistic going into things? Did it feel like a good match for you and a good fit for you? Or was it so, like, I can't imagine not knowing someone very well, making that kind of a decision. What was that like? I think at 21, I don't think I was really looking at a marriage as a life event. I know I okay. should have been thinking that way, but I wasn't. I think I was too naive in my thinking. Okay. So I was more like... You know, there's nothing really wrong with him. It's fine. I mean, I spoke for like 10 minutes. So it's not like wow. you suddenly just really like a person in 10 minutes. It's not possible, right? right? But I was coming from another point of I don't have anything to eliminate him for. So he seems okay. Looks like everything else is kind of okay. So it'll work out is how I looked at it. I don't think I understood what a marriage took at that point. Yeah. <laughs> This is so fascinating. And culturally, this was just very normal. This is what everyone did, right? So it wasn't like, yep. in the US, this seems very abnormal. And this is basically, like, yeah, yeah, I know, none of us can imagine doing this. But if you know, in India, this is how it's done. And so I'm sure that this seemed very, probably somewhat casual to you, like, this is just how we do it. And this is what's going to happen. And it's going to be fine. Yeah, it is accepted culturally. So yeah. it, it is not something that happened out of the blue now mm -hmm. that I about it. Like, 
you know, I've lived in the United States for 20 years and I know how crazy it sounds to marry somebody <laughs> that you just met for like 10 minutes. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, it's accepted. So. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you've fallen into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. How long were you married to him? About probably eight years. Yeah. Eight years. Okay. And tell us a little bit about how that was over the course of those eight years. How did it start out? And then where did you start to see that this was not going to work long term? I moved here. Everything was okay. I moved pretty much the same month that I got married and it was all good. As soon as I moved, I actually moved to a very small town called Eufaula, Alabama. And we were making trips between Atlanta, Georgia and this place because he was a consultant and I was just going wherever he went. So culturally, it was a big change for me, like kind of being uprooted from, I grew up an only child. I had too much attention back <laughs> back in India. <laughs> Maybe a little more than necessary, but I, had, I just had too many people around me. Yeah. And uh, when I came here, it was crazy because I didn't have any family. I didn't have any friends because all of my friends are still going to like grad school and doing other things. None of them were married. None of them you know, we were in the United States. So it was crazy. So I didn't have a support system and, you know, having an unfamiliar place. And on top of that, I think going to Alabama didn't help because even though I spoke English fluently at 21, I had trouble understanding very Southern accent and oh. trying to understand their specific words because I was like, oh God, I have no idea what they're saying. I'm just going to smile a lot and they're probably going to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that part was hard. And I think that added up with 
not having anything in common with him. He was almost seven to eight years older than me. And it was almost like he was a different generation. Even thinking about, you know, what to do, I wanted to work and I wanted to do other things. Yes, I wanted to be a wife and mother and all of that stuff. But I also wanted to do more than just being that. But he wanted me to be more traditional. And I think that's his, you know, outlook on life, right? But it kind of started veering off because we saw all these differences and there was no way to compromise because I tried to do that. And then I went to schools, you know, joined a design school and he was very unhappy with that, that I was continuing my education and, you know, things just did not help. It was like one after the other Mm -hmm. for us to work out things. And then I had my daughter in like 2003 after I had her I took a break from design school and it was hard to go to school after giving birth because I took a break and I wanted to finish up. I didn't have any support. Like I couldn't put her in a daycare because I wasn't earning any money and it was too much to just put her in daycare. And also I couldn't just get a babysitter because every time I got one, he would cancel it (laughs) because I think he wanted me to. He wanted me to stay home, so I wasn't. So it was kind of, you know, it started off in a type of battle because on a daily basis and all of this started to get to me. I was already sleepless and running on coffee. I wasn't making sound decisions. You know, it was just, I think one thing led to another and it just happened. I don't even know how the eight years went by, but they did. So my state of mind was not exactly happy or rational at this point. I was just overwhelmed with everything. Yeah. In the Indian culture, is divorce considered an option? Or do people generally stay and arrange marriages their entire lives? Because that's culturally what the cultural norm is. Yeah, it is the cultural norm. I mean, legally, it is recognized. So they do go to court and they do get divorces, but it's not accepted within the community. And it's not accepted among the relatives. You still get a lot of questions, bad rap and, you know, a lot of pressure from the family. So at the time, and we're going to get to when you were wanting to end your own life in a minute, and this actually might be part of this same question, but how did you decide that you wanted to leave your marriage? And was that before or after the time that you wanted to end your life? This was right after that. That that moment kind of made me think because one day I just put my daughter to bed in the afternoon and I had come down and I decided I was going to just have this bottle of bleach in my hand and I was trying to drink it. Obviously, I wasn't thinking or planning anything because it's not like I thought about doing that for days together. And then I came to the decision. I just wanted to because it has just been too much. And when I saw this quote is what pushed me to the realization that, you know, you can't do it. Your daughter probably cannot do it on her own if you are not going to get out and kind of give her a life. Otherwise, she's going to be in the same situation because he is a little bit more traditional in that sense. And he'd probably have her get an arranged marriage and, you know, all of those thoughts along with realizing that you're not as helpless. You can just do whatever you want. Nobody's going to know. All of those things just came to me at the same time I looked at this quote. And then after that, I started planning and I tried to get, I didn't have a job until then. So I was trying to find a job. I was, of course, unemployed for months after I moved out and I struggled, but we made it. 
in that moment, I didn't think we would come out all that well or anything. I just felt like it cannot be any worse than this. I mean, this is yeah. probably the lowest point in your life. And that's what it made me realize. And that's why I got out. So you would put your daughter to bed and you were home by yourself. And this was not something you'd premeditated. You hadn't been thinking about this for a long time. You just in that moment thought, I'm going to end this right now. And you had the bleach and you were going to drink the bleach. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. Yes. And then you saw the quote on the wall and that got your mind kind of thinking in a different direction. Yeah, it made me realize what I was doing and I stopped. I put everything down and I started crying. I don't know, probably like an hour or so. I was just sitting there crying right, to figure out, you know, what was I thinking and what was I going to do was biggest fear. And then my daughter woke up and I cleaned up, got out and kind of, you know, started planning for doing better things instead of feeling the way I was. Right. At that same time, is that when you pack up that day and leave or the next day or what was that timeline like? Yeah, no, I didn't pack up and leave right away. It took me almost since that time, it took me about five, six months after that to leave because I was trying to get a job. I didn't know what kind of job to get. My bachelor's was in computer science. I had a graduate diploma in design and I was freelancing on the side, but nobody was looking at me as an entry level person because at this point I was like 27 or 28, I think. And I didn't really fit the first entry-level intern type of person in the design field, not in technology field. So it was hard to get a job in general. So finally, I did get a job, a good one at that. And as soon as I got the offer, I actually moved out. When I did, though, <laughs> they resended my offer because of a test that I had to take about, you know, like it was a government job at the CDC and they had all these questions about you know, what would you do when a fire happens? And, you know, very, very commonsensical stuff, which I answered saying things like, I think I would put out the fire. And I think they wanted me to say something <laughs> like, you're supposed to run and call somebody, right? You're not supposed to put out the fire. So they failed me on that test. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> and then they failed me on the test and they wouldn't give me a second chance to rewrite the same test. I mean, who knew that that's what you're supposed to do? And I didn't know that. So anyway, it was funny. And as much as I'm laughing now, at that point, they're like, oh, sh Oh, I'm sure it was devastating. It's really bad as well. Yeah. <laughs> because you're now outside with a child and no job. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it was great for a while. But after that night, when you had considered ending your own life, was the turnaround, did you just immediately start taking steps? It sounds like you immediately started taking steps looking for a job. And did you know then at that point that like you were just taking steps in the direction of leaving your husband and building a life for you and your daughter? Yes, I made up my mind to leave that yeah, day. Yeah. I did make up my mind and I was just looking for ways to do that properly. But yes, I had made up my mind at this point. Of course, I don't think I told him until almost like a month or two later. But yeah, I think I made up my mind that day. And when you told him, because he was so traditional, how was that conversation? Because I'm imagining for someone who's very traditional and that divorce is not a traditional element in Indian marriages, how would that go? <laughs> Actually, I took him to the counselor. We were already in counseling trying to get our marriage to work even prior to this incident. And when this stuff happened and I kind of made up my mind, I told the counselor about it. And she advised me not to tell him alone at our home. She told me to tell him in front of her so that just in case some, safe. some unexpected, yeah, just it wasn't like, 
you know, make him extremely angry if he's in public. So she advised me to do that. So that's what I did. And it was okay after that. I mean, I think he knew that we weren't really working. He knew that. But it took him probably like another 10 days to kind of get his head around that this is really happening. And I think that's for anybody because it's not a nice thing, no matter how you get married to get divorced. So. And as you transitioned into your new life, so you ended up getting a job, you left your husband. What were the biggest challenges that you faced during that time? And then also, what were the biggest achievements that you accomplished? I think the challenges were finding that first job without knowing anybody or without any contacts and trying to get your first job at, you know, you've been out of college for almost eight years, seven years by that time, and you're trying to get a job. That was, I think, the That's hardest a huge challenge for me. And That's a yeah. big deal. I mean, we have a lot of moms who listen to this podcast who have taken time out of the workforce for the purpose of raising children and staying home with children. And that is a very daunting task for anyone to have this education or experience behind them, but have it be kind of, you know, in the past and then have to go out and find something. And when you're in a situation like you were in, which is a fairly desperate situation, that's a very big challenge. So, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that was pretty overwhelming. Yeah, and it was, yeah, it is. And you kind of, you know, get around it. But, you know, I did many things. I started applying to jobs, writing different types of resumes. I was applying to all kinds of jobs, things that I wasn't even qualified for. I think in total, by the time I finished, I applied to something like 193 jobs or something by the time I actually finished. But. I mean, I was even applying like a target and all these places. And of course, I did not know that you're not supposed to talk about your graduate diploma on your target application. <laughs> They're not going to hire you. <laughs> and there were so many things I did not know. I was just so naive. I had to learn trial and error yeah. on the because I've never had a job before in India right. or in the United States. So that was just oh my crazy. This really uh, speaks to your perseverance. Yeah your strength of character and your perseverance that you were not going to just sit back and be stuck in this traditional place that your husband wanted you to be in that your family had expected you to be in, but that you were going to make this work no matter what you had to do. And it didn't matter if you were going to go to work at Target without using your graduate degree, but you were completely determined to go build a life for you and for your daughter outside of the cultural constructs that you had lived in all of your life, which is, I think that's so amazing. Yeah, we made it. (laughs) (laughs) So you got a job. And then what were the achievements that helped you kind of feel momentum as you started working through this? Like, I'm sure that, you know, getting your own place to live and getting the job. And were there other things that were happening that kind of helped you get a sense of independence as you were going through all this? Yeah, I came out with a lot of debt when I came out of the marriage. And, you know, I had things to pay. I had lawyers fees that I had to pay. We were in a custody battle, Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. So I had no way to pay any bills. I remember I was living with roommate at that time and both of us went to Walmart and she was broke too for, you know, her own other reasons. But anyway, neither of us had any money. So we went to Walmart and we bought all these groceries. And then at the counter, she starts to ring all the items. And then as soon as it reached 100, we were like, okay, that's it. We don't want any more of this. And the all the people in Walmart were looking at us like the absolute crazy people. I mean, that was our state at one point where I was struggling for money and I was always in debt. So my biggest achievement at that point was trying to get out of debt. And I had 
the day job, I was working at two jobs. I was freelancing in the evening. I was also writing resumes for people, anybody who would give me their resume to write because I, obviously I had gotten extremely <laughs> good at writing it. <laughs> <laughs> and interview tips and I was doing all of that stuff to make money and I was working two jobs but within six months I got out of almost $93,000 in debt oh my god so that to me was a huge step for me to gain confidence that you know you can do a lot of things it's not that bad you know you everything will be fine yeah so so you had the six month window where you went from being in debt to out of debt and earning six figures of income what was your inspiration during that time? Like, how did you keep putting one foot in front of the other? I think it's the biggest motivator is fear. Fear mm. that, I mean, that's the life that I came from is yeah. not what I wanted. So the fear that I have to go back and either live with my parents and they'll probably get me married to another person or I have to go back to my husband that I don't want to be. I think those two were the biggest motivating factors. And I had a daughter that I had to support. Yeah. She was four you know, and a half at that time. But so all these three things that I go back to the way I was, was motivation enough for me. I mean, I didn't need incentive to me. That was incentive enough yeah. because I made up my mind that that's not what I wanted. So did you have any doubts during that time? Were there days where you were just like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if I can do it. Or were you just full speed ahead the whole time? There were days when I was, you know, extremely worried that nothing is working and I'm applying to all sorts of stuff and trying to everything I can to kind of stay afloat. And I even got things like eviction notices for my apartment. And I was planning to live in my car because there was no other option. So yeah, I mean, when things like that happen, when you're working so hard, and absolutely nothing is working in your favor, seems like everything is working against you. I think those are the days when I would sit and cry and feel like, you know, I won't be able to do it. But then the minute I used to get that way, I used to also picture my life, what it was. And both of that kind of equated itself. And then I would just cry and go to bed. But the next morning, I'd be back doing what I had to do. Yeah. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> Well, you're, Amy, more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, Mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast 
for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Did you have any specific like habits or routines that helped you stay positive or that helped you continue to stay optimistic about being able to achieve what you really wanted? I started reading a lot of books and I also had quotes plastered all over my house, like on nice. my mirror, on my bed, all over the place. But I also read a lot of books, anything to do with how to run a business, how to market, even things that I didn't need at the time. There was, I think, one called A Millionaire Mind. It was a rich dad, poor dad. I mean, I would read yeah. anything from real estate to you know, running a business to applying for a job. I was just reading everything and everything. But because I was reading all of that reinforced doing and pushed towards an action plan and trying to achieve something. So that's what the books helped me with more than the knowledge itself. But in general, on a daily basis, I had quotes everywhere. That's just the way I grew up. That all makes so much sense. And you make such a good point about reading. I think that when we read about things that we want to do, when we read about the direction we want to go, when we read about like you're saying, you know, you're reading a book about becoming a millionaire or reading a book about how to make deals in real estate or whatever it is, that gives you this sense of hope of like, oh, this is how I can do it. And if other people can do this, I can do this. And I think that like, I'm obsessed with personal development books. And I think it's because they give me so much hope that like, I can do anything I want in this world. If I want to build a different business tomorrow, I could start from scratch and do that because there's so much information out there of how other people have done this and how to do it well and the mindset behind all of it because so much of it is mindset. And then like you said, you have your quotes all around you and that's all really empowering. So I could see where you know, you would have rough days. And like you said, days where you're crying and in tears, but it would be easy to stay motivated and to believe in yourself when you're constantly making a conscious effort to expose yourself to information that is moving in the direction that you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. So you got your job with Apple. And how quickly after you left your husband, did you get the Apple job? That was not your first job. No, that was not my first job. I was a consultant in Atlanta, Georgia for a while. Then I actually remarried in 2011. I started dating and I remarried. We can't gloss over that. (laughs) What was it like to get married like outside of an arranged marriage with I mean, that had to have been such a different experience. Yeah, it is. I met my husband at work. Funnily, it was not an arranged marriage. But yeah, I mean, it was different. I think I also matured as a person. I knew what I wanted and what I didn't want. So 
I kind of had an idea of what I was looking for. So that made it a lot easier. And the expectations of marriage were set for myself as a person. I had grown up as well. But yeah, it was a different experience dating. We lived together for almost two years before getting married. Of course, we didn't tell any of our family. <laughs> Hopefully they never read <laughs> that this is podcast. That's so funny. Because that's like completely the opposite of your cultural <laughs> constructs. That's so great. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I had to make sure that he and my daughter got along and all of this other stuff. So I thought that was the best way for me at the time. Yeah. Oh, that totally makes sense. So then you ended up with your job at Apple and working there. And I know that your job at Apple had definitely inspired you in the direction that you took craft street design. So we've heard kind of where quotes have been really key in your life. And that's a big part of what you do with craft street design. And then I was stalking on your website. I read that Apple really inspired you as well, your work with Apple. And so talk a little bit about how your time with Apple impacted the work that you are doing today? I think the minimalistic point of view for at Apple kind of pushed me in design. I went to school and everything, but never paid that much of attention to detail. You know, for example, there was this one time, one of the guys, I was actually working on the technology come design side. So I was on this working on this app, cards app, which used to be there on the photo side where you could actually select a greeting card or a photo album or whatever you wanted to put it. And there were templates and you could put it and they would print it out and send it to you. You could print your own prints, make albums, do all sorts of stuff in that. So I was working on that. And this guy, one day he comes into the meeting room and we are supposed to be picking paper for deciding on you know which paper we were going to use for the photo albums and that's what we were very worried about that day and this guy comes in and he picks up like three pieces of paper and he smells each one of them so I'm thinking okay I mean why is he smelling it I'm not understanding this at this point I'm just looking at him and then he smells it and then he puts it on the table and he says these two are not good why because they have some sort of smell with the ink which is very very faint I can't even smell it I mean it's very faint but they rejected the paper based on that because it would dampen the user experience that's I mean that's the amount of detail that they were going into we don't want the customer to open the print and have this slight smell of ink come when they look at their own prints I mean so fascinating (laughs) yeah and I mean there were many incidents like this but that's the kind of attention to detail that I learned being there and understanding from a user's point of view, understanding product from the user's point of view. Wow. So tell us about your mission. What's your mission with Craft Street Design? My mission is to inspire everybody to do whatever it is that they want, personal goals, you know, business goals, whatever it is that they choose you know, to want in their life. I hope that we are an instrument and to be part of that, to kind of help them pass through the journey much easier and motivate them through that goal. Yeah. How do you want to inspire other women? I want to tell a lot of women, a lot of women actually reach out to me in terms of asking about business and what it's like to be a woman in technology and all of these other questions about being a mom and all of this. But what I mainly see from the women is that it is really their own self-doubt. And I'm not saying that I'm immune to it. I'm not. (laughs) I don't think anyone is. But I think any woman who thinks she is, you know, so and so qualified, she actually is probably qualified 10 times more than what she already thinks she is. That's like a given compared to any other man or 
you know, child or whoever is coming up, you can be very sure that if a woman has achieved something and she is working hard and doing whatever, she's probably doing 10 times the work and she already probably knows 10 times more, but she doesn't think so. That's like the biggest problem that I'm seeing. So hopefully the posters and the quotes kind of help them see those, you know, work as reminders that that is not the case. And I have some specific quotes for things like that to kind of boost self-confidence. It's about undervaluing yourself. And I think many women do it. So I hope to inspire them that that is truly not the case and that they can do much more than what they think they can. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said that self doubt is a huge obstacle for women, probably like you said, you know, one of the biggest ones that they face, and that women do really, really underestimate themselves. And I think that that happens for a variety of reasons. And I think that it's also very culturally acceptable to put ourselves down and to talk poorly about ourselves. And men don't do that. Like men do the opposite of that. (laughs) Men are men are completely comfortable pumping themselves up when they're not really that great at something, even that great at something. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. So your art on your site, it's so gorgeous. And everything on your site, you have a broken down, you can break it down into categories, which I love. So you could go look for something really specific in a direction that you want inspiration. But everything is so beautiful and so simple. And I was looking through and I was like, every single one of these pieces would be something that I would want on my wall. And Part of it, I think, is that the power of having words around us, and which you have, you know, exemplified so beautifully in telling your story, the power of having words around us can't be underestimated. And when we have these simple quotes, like right in front of us on a daily basis, it totally changes our behavior. And we see this when we look at people who use vision boarding, like the things that are on their vision board actually come into their lives. And when we see that when people do visualization, or when people do daily affirmations, and like the power of words and the power of visual things around us is such a big deal. So I think what you have done with your work is so powerful and so amazing because I think that we can be very unaware of the big impact of such a small thing, such as just putting like a little card up on your wall, which I will be doing with the card that you sent me for sure, because you have this little reminder with just a few words and it can totally change your power in a day, which can change your power over the course of your life, which is a really big deal. (laughs) And I'm sure that you see how that impacts women on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move into motherhood just a little bit. She must be aware of your whole story, the arranged marriage. And does she know that you were considering ending your life at one time? Yeah, she does. And what has it been like to share your story with her and work and to have her see you where you are now? (laughs) that's a tough question but uh, it's a question that uh, we should probably ask her but in general I think I didn't share it with her while I was going through the trouble times and of course she was quite young too I don't think she was ready to hear all of that but when I started this business and kind of went into doing some things and she had grown up by this time and I was putting her to work in the business I that is when I kind of shared what really happened and you know how we arrived at what we arrived and all of that so it's been a great learning experience for her as well not just learning about business or how it's done in the back end she sees that on a daily basis so she's very motivated and she's very excited that her mom 
doesn't have a regular job, as she puts it. But <laughs> it has been a journey. It is not something that's yeah. overnight that they get excited about it. But she always says that she never knew that we were in trouble, and she had no idea that the, all of this was happening. She wow. didn't. She had no idea because you were an so excellent that's, mom. That's good, right? Yes, yes, that's very good. <laughs> you should feel very proud of that. In what ways are you a shameless mom? I think now I have made it a point that every day I brag about at least one skill of mine, no matter how embarrassed I feel about it. <laughs> so I do it. I like at parties. It's like the hardest thing because it's not like you're going on and on and on like hours about it, but at least make it a point to mention one of my skills specifically in any kind of social gathering. And the reason I do that really is to kind of build up my confidence to be able to do that when yes. it is absolutely necessary. I love that. I talk about that. So I own a gym here in Seattle. So a totally different entity than the podcast. And one of the things I talk about with my members are almost all women. I talk about bragging all the time. I'm like, you have to brag about your achievements. You have to own your wins. You have to say like, hey, everybody, I did this because women do not do that. And it's so important to have those little moments where you point out because of the power it has on you, not it's impactful to other people as well, but it's the impact it has on you to stand up for what you've achieved and really own it is huge. And when other people see you doing that, then they perceive you as a strong, powerful person. And when you see them perceive you that way, then you become more of a strong, powerful person. So it's a very cyclical thing. So I really love that. Can I put you on the spot and ask you to brag about something right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, Just to make you super uncomfortable. Um, yeah, like for today, I will finish my quota for today by bragging on the podcast. That's funny. Anyway, I would say I actually do a lot of things with a lot of willpower. I have a lot of willpower and I kind of push through situations a lot. That's kind of my strength. I analyze and then I push through. So awesome. I love that. And I can definitely sense that about you. Describe the legacy you're building and how does being shameless play into your legacy? So I think what I really want is to provide a complete solution for somebody trying to achieve a goal, not just we are right now creating, I guess, the first step of motivation to do a job or to do whatever it is that you want to do or to uplift yourself, right? But I am want to eventually to be able to leave a way for people to actually have an end-to-end solution instead of just the first step. So, so I hope to leave that by the time I finish here. Excellent. Well, you're definitely well on your way. We're going to do our lightning round in just a minute. But before we do that, tell us where we can find you so people can get your cards and get some of your amazing, beautiful art on their walls as soon as possible. You can check all of the quote prints out at craftstreetdesign.com. And of course, you can email me if you have any other questions about running a business or doing anything else. That's pratima at craftstreetdesign.com. Excellent. So we will make sure we link up to your website in the show notes here. So for those of you listening, you can go to shamelessmom.com and then click on episode 92. And that will have links to craftstreetdesign.com. So Pratima, this has been so interesting and fascinating. And I really appreciate you sharing so much of your life and your story and especially personal and very precious to you. Let's go ahead and do our lightning round before we wrap up our time. Does that sound good to you? Sounds great. Okay, this is the fun part. So go ahead and tell us <laughs> red wine or white wine? I drink red wine cab. Oh, nice. Oh, I like a good cab too. The current book that you're reading or the last one you read? 
The one I'm reading right now is actually a book about how to read a book. It's what? actually, that's the title, How to Read a Book. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a wonderful read. It's a really old book that was published in the, I think, 30s or 40s, the first edition. But, you know, of course, they've made additions to it. But it's a wonderful book to read as to how to get things out of book and different ways of reading. And I didn't know that that's somebody could write a book on that, right? Yeah. Like, But it's, it's definitely very useful. Oh, that's so interesting. What's your favorite non-work-related thing to do with time to yourself? I actually read a lot in my non-work time, but I also do things like, you know, stitching and I try to make my own clothes. I try to do all sorts of making stuff on the side whenever I'm free. Oh, I'm inspired and a little bit jealous. (laughs) I wish that I could do some of that. What's one morning ritual you can't live without? Morning, I have to drink my tea. I have to make it and I have to drink it. It's this combination of black tea mixed with jaggery mixed with a little bit of milk so yeah I mean I cannot do without it (laughs) who is your biggest inspiration that's a big one I don't think there's a single biggest inspiration for me like that I do learn from everybody and I have a lot of role models that I go with so there's this person called Beate Shalit that helped me kind of figured out my story and kind of showed me the path to do what I wanted to do. I have my husband who's come from basically, you know, from a very different background, from a very poor family in India and who's grown up to be what he is today. So, I mean, I learn from pretty much everybody, but I would say the biggest inspiration is probably those two people for me. Nice. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? I think we all need that ring, you know, that could just convert water to wine. I think that's the superpower I would want every mom to have. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) No one has said that one before, but I would buy it for sure. I know, right? I would buy it too. (laughs) That's a really good one. I'm going to make a little note of that. Well, thank you so much, Pratima, for taking time to be on the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really enjoyed it and I appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing your story. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.